marketers aren't going to get better. Tactics aren't going to improve if we don't solve this problem of communication and autonomy. I'm Margaret Kelsey. I am Devin Bramhall. And this is Don't Say Content, created and produced in partnership with Share Your Genius. Huge shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us early on, supporting and making this podcast come to life. And if you, dear listeners, are thinking about bringing an idea or your brand to life and scaling it, I'd recommend having a quick little convo with our favorite people at Share Your Genius. So Margaret and I have been circling around this phenomenon in the marketing world across all size companies that we hear and experience from marketers and leadership across all companies. It just, it's one of those things that hasn't really been named. It's just an experience that people have and talk about frequently, but because it doesn't have a name, it keeps perpetuating and hasn't improved at all. The first version of this was like, companies don't deserve marketers anymore. (laughs) That was your version. That was my version. (laughs) I was like, no. But what we, the actual underlying problem is that there is a fundamental breakdown in understanding and communication between marketers and CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. And founders, like so CEO, founder versus marketer. And that could be like CMO, head of, director, whatever you want to call it. The breakdown is so fundamental that a CEO could say, could require, request something like a marketing strategy, give details on what they want, which is rare, I guess. But, and then the marketing team could deliver that. And it's still broken. (laughs) Right. Like, because they quite literally deliver exactly what the CEO asked for, but because it doesn't look like what the CEO imagined it was going to look like and doesn't understand all the aspects of marketing. And then probably on the marketing team too, they don't understand some of the perspectives and concerns and nuances that they're trying to address. They're both wrong. They're both right. And it leads to, in my opinion, is It's hamstringing marketing evolution, creatively, tactically. It's why we keep doing the same things over and over now to diminishing returns. And there isn't a lot of experimentation that I would expect that I would assume would have gone along with all the evolutions in technology over the same time period. It really hasn't improved or changed much. And so- What I keep coming back to as a metaphor in my own head around this is it's that they're speaking different languages and there's a translation error or a lack of translation. And because even the example that you used, the CEO is saying one thing, the marketing team is trying to interpret that and deliver the thing. And there was a breakdown in communication. It's almost like they're literally speaking two different languages and there's, and they're both right. They're both saying truthfulness in their own language, but there's an inability to cross-pollinate understanding. And so that's really interesting to me because that's always been, even as I plotted the red thread through my career, 
I've always been interested in shared languages and shared languages that produce interesting outcomes of feelings of belonging, feelings of of motivation. So I've thought about that as like companies building those shared languages with their audience to feel to create that feeling of like belongingness and brand. And then as I became a leader and a manager, it was that internal creation of a shared language. So people feel a part of your team, a part of the organization, a part of your high performing organization, they feel supported, they feel whatever. So it's really interesting now to then unearth like this third step, which is okay, you can do, you can create shared languages externally, you can create shared languages internally. And then once you get up to the highest, most important relationship for marketers to be able to be effective, there's also a shared language that needs to be created there. And so for me, it's really, what is that nesting doll where you like, it's yeah. like the same thing. You open it up and you're like, ah, shared there's language so again. layers to it. You know, we were talking to Robbie at No Middle the other day and we were discussing this sort of topic with him. And he said, well, you know, CEOs think marketers don't are like incompetent, like they don't know what they're doing or something like that. And he's right. Like there is this sort of perception that not across all, right? So we're just going to disclaimer, there's nuance and companies are different. But I feel like that was the interesting part of the conversation with him as we were starting to do the math of what we thought in terms of like how many CEOs actually get marketing and how many marketers are actually worth their weight in salt. And I think this was actually an interesting thing. We were talking about how, I forget the exact numbers we used, but I was like, maybe 5% of CEOs actually can under, can not have the capacity, but probably get marketing. And then what we were saying, 25% to a third of marketers are actually worth their weight in salt, which I know, spicy take, sorry. And then we were thinking of the overlap there. And the case I was making is that I think that it's, I think that there's more productivity to be had for CEOs to have a better understanding of marketing than it is to create more marketers that are worth their weight in salt. And, and that to me, I feel like is the, the interesting choke point to me is can we get CEOs to, to speak the right language? Because one, part of the problem, there's two thirds of marketers kind of suck. There's some industry responsibility around like us being a little snowflakey, but there's another part of they're not getting what they need to get better because yeah. either, you know, on the startup side, it's like lack of resources, lack of ability to keep doing something, make mistakes, et cetera. And then on the you know larger company side, you as a leader aren't spending time with them to understand their approach and then help influence each other to find that shared language, shared understanding of what the objective is and how you're going to go about it. In my experience, it was if I didn't do exactly what they wanted, which a lot of times made no sense to me, they would just go off and do it yeah, themselves. And that's from the startup world, right? The point is that marketers aren't going to get better. Tactics aren't going to improve if we don't solve this problem yeah. of communication and autonomy. Autonomy is probably the biggest thing. And getting rid of emotion in startups, as it relates to startups, founders used to be called inventors and they used to work, they used to be employed at a company. Yeah. And time and time again on a startup side and even in the big corporate side with clients I've worked with, the fucking technical people get in the way they mess they get muddy the waters and they create the own their own scenario and they're like well you suck i'm like you quite literally took apart this thing that we had just built in the name of what we said like we just accomplished the first thing that we said we were going to do to be able to skyrocket 
and you swooped in, didn't try to understand anything, picked it all apart without any context for what we do or any effort to understand it, and then tossed it all away or like, you know what I mean? You may have spin our wheels for months. The amount of times that has happened with a technical founder or person at a company is, it's infuriating. We're still at the starting line, literally running in circles. Yeah. Yeah. The point that you made about stripping emotion from it, I think is really, really important. And I think that there's easy scorecards and easy goal and KPI numbers for every single team and marketing all of a sudden then just gets like a, oh, I don't know. I trust my marketing team. I don't trust my marketing team rather than like, there should just be a clear scorecard is marketing delivering on these clear KPIs. And then it's not, I don't like, I don't know. I had like a weird call with my marketing leader and I lost trust. It's just like, do you have a very succinct scorecard that you're scoring them on. And if they're doing the scorecard, let them grow. Because as we talked about before, like changing human behavior at scale takes time. And so you need to just also let the team build. But we're talking about those 25% to 33% of marketers that get it too. The thing that I keep hearing, the thing that how I've heard this conversation framed before is, oh, if you're a good marketer, just go find a CEO that understands marketing. Life is, you know, life's too short and just go find a company and a CEO that gets marketing. We're saying that there's like maybe 3% of those that like naturally are already out there like that. Like that's not feasible, right? Even though two thirds of marketers we're saying aren't worth their weight in salt, like the math still doesn't math in order for most people who are good to have productive, high satisfaction work. And like that is hugely problematic, I think, for the industry as a whole. Yeah. Like it's interesting when you were describing earlier the shared language and this feeling of belongings, I could like sense the cringe among certain people who are like, you know, when you say things like belonging and feelings, and I'm like, I need you to know that that is a crucial cog in the wheel of growth. Because to your point about scorecards, the problem isn't just having a scorecard. It's getting your leadership to stick with it. I know. I I, one time after joining a company, over delivering on a very aggressive first goal in the first nine months, launching this huge thing that was like, had great vision and success, like had multiple components for growth built into it that we could tinker on brought in somebody who admitted they didn't know a lot about marketing and was a wonderful person, P.S. Like, I really liked them. But, like, the, that was, like, one of the first things they said. And I'm like, you motherfuckers. I had someone who understood marketing. They're gone now. And you gave me someone. And that's the first thing they say to me. I'm like, and then subsequently, my goals changed several times in a series of a couple of months. And I remember the CEO coming to me and they're like, you're underperforming. And you're like, I'm going to just wait a week and then we'll change our goals again. And maybe I'll be overperforming on those goals. So I remember this like spreadsheet I created to like create the math behind the, like to, to explain how the things we were doing, were going to achieve the goal that they had just recently given me and switched right after I'd come up with a beautiful plan for the one right before that. 
And you wonder why I would get frustrated on calls. I'm like, I don't even know what we're doing anymore. Yeah. And then it became my fault. And then they fired me. I think this is the thing. Startups naturally, especially right now, need to do business strategy pivots, product strategy pivots. Yes, I get it, right? Everyone is kind of looking at things freshly and there's a lot of chaos happening in the last couple months, let's call it, right? This is not something that only cropped up over the last couple of months. And so what I will say is, to the CEOs and founders out there, if your business is somehow not going through a business strategy change, not going through a product strategy change, there is no reason that you should be re-goaling marketing every month, every whatever. Like goal them on a quarterly and half year basis, ideally more of like the six month basis and let them build something that is going to be, you can build something that's flexible enough for your go-to-market strategy pivots from sales-led to product-led. Like there are smart ways to build marketing functions that can like support both things as you, as you like, as you figure it out, but you should not be re-goaling your marketing team that frequently because you are essentially causing the chaos that, that marketers just literally can't do. Well, it comes down to money. You're just wasting money. Yeah. Like that's the thing is like, as a younger marketer, I used to like, I was upset morally on behalf of Mark. Cause I was like, you know what I mean? And now I'm like, you're, you're inefficient. You're That's wasting the CEO money. And you're like, I just lit money on fire from this chaos. Exactly. Like I have such an intolerance for it, especially because the standards that I w- have always been held to are very lean and very aggressive. It's like, mm-hmm. you cannot overspend. Like you may not like very, very tight rope. And so I learned about doing a lot with constraints, which is made me really creative and it was really fun. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you because at the end of the day, whatever like pivot you're going through, your actual marketing tactics, especially in the beginning where you're laying a lot of foundation, they're not going to change that much. Yeah. Like all this disruption, everything like this is around, in my opinion, it's what you were saying, business strategy and how you are approaching your product strategy. Marketing should just keep going. Ahrefs taught me SEO. It was our infrastructure at Animals. Yeah. Like that was part of our like tech stack and everybody at the company used it. And I just remember growing up at startups and nobody was ever there to teach you your job. And you had to learn a lot along the way. Help Scout was where I really had to get my shit together with SEO strategy. And I was like, what do I do? And one of our growth marketers walked me through Ahrefs. The UI looks like it's a lot, but then you go and start using it and it's like all logic. It's all logic. Like it's all marketing logic, the way it works. And so you're kind of like, oh, you're just like giving me all the answers. And it's also the fact, the reason that I feel like it feels like that is because it is so powerful. Like you literally have access to information that I had no idea that I could actually access. Competitors, keywords, how they're ranking, like absolutely powerful stuff in order to understand how your content and brand programs are. So Ahrefs, thank you so much for not only a fantastic product, but also sponsoring season two. Yes. And also helping me achieve my first big objective at Help Scout. It was pretty important and aggressive and it kept me in my job a little bit longer. So So thank you for Devin's salary back then. (laughs) 
Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say don't say Ahrefs. Don't which say I've Ahrefs. Say Ahrefs. 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 It's funny that our friends are now founders. Like, so when we were in SF last week, I met with one of my sort of a new friend who is a first time founder and like, he's one among the more self-aware founders I've met. He worked with an agency that I recommended and he was like, I was a nightmare. He's like, I was emotional. Like I changed my mind a lot. Like I, you know, I think that if they just focused on something else, like the messaging, don't worry about it. It will evolve a little bit and no one will notice. No one cares about your website anymore. I'm sorry. Your website matters as a conversion mechanism and dispersing people in the ways you want to develop your pipeline. But your little word tweaks, they're not working anymore. Can I have a moment of empathy for the founder CEOs out there? Oh God, please. On the flip side of this, marketers have royally fucked up marketing by calling everything that they've ever done a new name. What do you Omni mean? Omnichannel, ABM, like, like everything is named in marketing. <gasps> I just learned a new one. What is it? It's like dark social. Oh yeah. Dark social. Yeah. Dark. There's another one where it basically just means word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, what? I was yeah. associating it with a dark web and I was like, what? No, and they're like, oh, no, it just means word of mouth. And this is the thing. I get it. We're marketers. We like to name things. We like to coin things. We like to build a mission around things. But when it comes to a CEO's understanding of marketing, it gets in their head and they can't find their way out because also at their previous company, ABM looked different than your definition of ABM, right? And all of these things that have been spun up as their own terms with their own playbooks and their own whatever just confuse the shit out of people who aren't living and breathing it. Like I can't even keep track of what's, what is it? Omni-channel versus something else. Like there's just like, it's all silly. Yeah. Dark social. It's like, oh, you mean word of mouth? I'm going to push back on that just a little bit because <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you're fundamentally, you're right. Like these terms mean nothing. Let's talk about the meaning behind the terms and yeah. put that in our strategy versus these buzzwords. Yes. And because we as marketers have put those buzzwords out there, our CEOs and leadership are then adopting them, but because those terms are so interpretable and they do in practice look different at every company, different stages, different industries, uh, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah. At the same time that like we sort of need those terms in order to develop a shared language, which goes back to us needing to find that shared language and organize it around something else. But also you touched on something I think is really important, which is you said whatever the ABM plan was at a previous company the CEO was at but would look different than something that the CMO at their new company that he's leading pitches. Mm -hmm. The CEO perhaps doesn't understand that both can be right. Yeah. And so your job as a CEO is to hire people smarter than you in different departments where you don't have strength and then you need to let them do it. And for some reason, when it comes to marketing, that's the department that gets micromanaged and there's a lack of trust mm -hmm. even when you hire someone with proven historical results and then prove results to the company, that trust never develops. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure CTOs around the world right now are like, my, my co-founder, my CEO will not get out of here because they're a product person too, but 
marketing has been one of those things that everyone thinks they can do it, including like engineers. And I'm like, I need you to know that no. And that can you help me code this landing page real quick? (laughs) Yeah. And it's even more complex than that, which is like, why does everyone think that marketing is easy and simple and that they can do it? I think because of the, I, I, part of it, I think is this naming convention that we break things, these things down into like three easy steps for an ABM playbook, because it's like content marketers writing marketing for marketing people. And then a CEO reads it and it's like, oh, I can spin up an ABM playbook with three easy steps. Like, I do think that there's some part of this, which is like MarTech companies are ruining CEOs (laughs) understanding of marketing. (laughs) That's so true. It's like the call is coming from inside the house. Yes. (laughs) But actually, it goes even deeper than that. It goes to the basement, which is Google. So like content marketers are trained to get more traffic from Google and doing so they're trying to one up each other on like 100 things. Oh, well, I'm going to try to jump over them by doing, you know, 110 and blah, blah, blah. And so like this number is arbitrary all because we as content marketers are trying to get that traffic to serve Google so that we can keep doing our jobs. And then a CEO Googles, how do I do marketing? And it's like, ah, Seven easy steps to make a million dollars in revenue. And then much like we saw at Startup Grind where their founders are taking pictures of a single slide and we're like, they're sending them to those marketing teams right now. Who are head of marketing. Yeah. Who are then like immediately leaving their desk and going to drink. I feel like we heard like collective like heads going to the desk when we were seeing these founders take screenshots of the presentations from startup grind, like individual slides and then slack them. And we're just like the groans heard around the world of their heads of marketing that are like, ah, yes, community strategy. Wonderful. Let me add that to my list. This goes back to what was the thing? Like everybody's wrong. Nothing matters. Everyone's wrong. What was Shut it? up, you jerks. Yeah. <laughs> It's the unofficial. All of us, us too. Like the official tagline of the podcast is just shut up, you jerks. Everybody. (laughs) Hey, Devin, do you know what the best part about our show is? (gasps) Tell me. We make so many new best friends that hang out with us every week. It's kind of weird that we don't see them hanging out with us every week, but we really, really appreciate the folks that do. And so if you want to be in our lives, and us in your ears on a weekly basis. I want you to go and find that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. And let's be friends forever. And please rate and review because it really helps support the show. We love you bunches. I do feel the empathy train though for leaders. I've experienced myself demonstrating some of the behaviors or thinking some of the thoughts that I saw my founders and CEOs have and say to my face. And what are those thoughts specifically? It was around pace. Mm. There's something about the weight of the goal. You set that goal in front of you. And yes, there's an ego part where you're like, I want to hit that. But then the thing around pace is it's like, What if we don't get there? What if we don't make enough? What if we don't have enough? And that feeling of like the company could fall off a cliff at any second. I found myself in this urgency to get there, not because necessarily just because of like fame and fortune. It was like, what if we don't even just make enough? 
And that then translates into across departments. We're not making these improvements fast enough. We're doing things wrong, you know. And again, I had a great leadership team around me. So that was able to be absorbed. It was mitigated by other people, which I think is correct and right. You know, but even Ryan Law, who like we worked together for so many years and he could see it. It's fear-based. It was definitely fear-based for me, at least. And then even with this like big corporation that I was working with where you've got multiple tiers of leadership and it can be a circus in that way because it's just a bigger org. Seeing how leadership behavior was influenced by the chaos above them even because there's so many more layers, like unbelievable. People that I had seen rationally, thoughtfully leading were experiencing such pressure on themselves and constant chaos and change and building trust and rebuilding trust and rebuild like that that gets pushed down. That's the interesting thing too. I think if you're if you're like looking at an org chart wherever there's a moment of chaotic leadership it is very hard if you even imagine the downflow effects of that. It's very hard to like staunch that issue. Right. One chaotic leader, and especially if the chaotic leader is the CEO, maybe the CMO is able to handle that, absorb that, distribute focus and clarity and um, direction downstream to their team. But let's say the CMO gets caught up in it and then all their direct reports and then maybe there's like one good leader that can kind of like put up what I've called a shit umbrella to their team and just say like, nope, not my team. Like I'm going to absorb the shit. And then all this, my team is underneath my shit umbrella. Like if you can think about it that way, then I think that this, this, the reason that this relationship between the head of marketing, the CMO and the CEO founder becomes so critical is that it's like such a choke point that if chaos is among them, then the downstream effects of it is an entire organization that is in chaos. You said something about good leaders. I'm like, the people I'm talking about are good leaders, but that shit umbrella can only handle so much shit. And when things are so unreasonable and chaotic at the, at their level, a lot of times you don't have control because again, with the big companies, like you're dealing with multiple stakeholders, like the best, the best umbrellas can't hold it all. And the other interesting thing that I've experienced multiple times, even as a consultant is when you are the person holding the umbrella, oftentimes it's not until you are not there anymore before the folks around you, both the ones you're managing and the ones above are like, oh, you were- That was a heavy ass umbrella you were holding. Wow. You were shielding me from a lot. You're gone and now this isn't smooth anymore. I'm laughing so hard because it's such a perfect, like, yes, you are speaking my language right now. <laughs> it's it's so funny. It's like your umbrella is like, it's not even an umbrella. It's like multiple different sized packages that you have to like hold up. It's like a mismatch. Yeah. And then you're gone and it's like, oh, maybe you did an okay job and I should have been like more supportive and helpful. It's like, So I think that's going back to the empathy for leaders too. Like it's just not simple on either direction. That is why I used to say, I wish everybody had to be CEO for like at least a week or or a month to see how complicated decision-making is. Mm -hmm. It's not simple. And then marketers feel the same way. It's like, I wish you, the CEOs could be in my job and see what it's like to encounter you. 
And that is why this the importance of developing a shared language and a shared understanding. And I will also add to it a shared decision-making framework. And decision-making frameworks include all of the different variables that you have to understand in order to make the decision, right? And I think this is another nuance of why this is so complicated is to your point, CEOs have more nuggets of information than even a CMO has, right? They have visibility into things that they should, that they probably can't and shouldn't share at various times. However, the only way that you can really empower and let somebody that you're managing go do their job is if you share as many as possible of those variables and how you would make a decision based on how those variables change so that you make the same decision as that person. And then you have to give them as much context as you can in order for them to make a good decision. And so the the breakdown is the more that a CEO knows that their CMO doesn't, that's going to be a worse relationship, right? And then you think about that downstream too. And my like core tenant of leadership is the people on the ground should make the decision because they should have the most context in the organization because information flows down to them and they have the visibility of the job that they're doing. So the individual person doing the job should be able to want to be the one that makes the decision because they understand the shared decision-making framework that they're operating in, right? And they have the knowledge ideally streaming down and they have all of the data from what they're seeing on the ground. So like that person in the organization should be able to make a decision that's wise and not have to like then run it back up the chain to be like, did I miss something? Yes, you missed something. Like actually make this decision because that running up and down the chain with every decision becomes the thing that CEOs don't want, which is the lack of velocity to just move. That is not how it pans out in real life. Gleaming city on a hill. No. Yeah. But what you're missing in there is experience and perspective and the types of things that you cannot tell your employees have to do with their own privacy, keeping them like details about financials that you don't understand until you literally have to do it and understand it deeply. And this is why being a CEO for a day would be great. A lot of times people came to me with ideas. I was like, this just objectively isn't a good idea. You're just missing the information you need to come to me with a, like a logical solution. And that doesn't make them bad or stupid. It's just what you're exposed to. To me, the way through is trust. As a CEO, I had to trust that the people I put in charge to do things that I wasn't perfect at were going to do it well. And we had measurements in place to prove that in terms of results. But I spent every single day in a total panic trying to trust people, especially on the things that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, Marketing was easier because I had that perspective, but I didn't know you know, anything about billing. You should have brought Ryan and- Law to this podcast to be like, but oh, was Devin actually... <laughs> Oh my God, we totally should. You know, the hard part is, yeah. is getting, is working through his British because he's so polite and nice. And it's like, we're going to have to be like, dude, tell me to like, just say it. He knows I won't care. Yeah. But anyway, the people on the ground to me are the most creative. They're the most, they, in a way they, they have the potential to be the most innovative 
because they are so close to the work, the product, et cetera. They have, no matter how much information you give them, it's not enough. So like that's not going to be a thing, but that should be fine because what you want is for though that proximity layer of creativity ideas to bubble up and then be sort of like molded, going back to Margaret's clay thing, molded a little bit and then moved through. Don't you think though that if you had any additional context of what's going on, what you're seeing would unlock the ability for people to make better decisions. Like, I don't think you're against that. I Like, I know that there's ultimately always things that a CEO cannot share, but there's probably things on the cusp in that cuspy place where like, if you enable your team or at least your leaders and trust them with sensitive information to make better would... decisions, like, is there that like 10% that could change to make everyone's lives easier? Probably. I mean, I was extremely transparent. <laughs> Like I was probably, you, I, yeah, I, one time I showed them a distilled version of the balance sheet. You want to see how much money we have for, uh, dependent healthcare. And I literally showed them the math or it was like something like 10% of the company would get this benefit, but it would cost all the money we had so that no one else in the entire company would get anything. I'm like, now do you want to do it? But I think yeah. ultimately what I learned from that experience, being very transparent, even down to the pandemic, showing our financials every week, going into de- like some people appreciated it. I would say the majority did. It did develop a reputation, but it didn't eradicate suspicion. People still created their own stories and narratives. And at the end of the day, leaning too hard on information does not help build trust. It doesn't. There's a certain level of it does, but it's a balance, right? If you share nothing, obviously no one's going to trust you, but like simply being transparent was not a solution Mm -hmm. and is not a solution because trust isn't just about information. In fact, to me, trust is about not having all the information about a specific thing, but having trust of an individual to know that they're following it through. And I had the experience where people I trusted really fucked up. That is an opportunity to build more trust or not. Right. So, you know, every situation is different, but that was not my experience. Yeah. Transparency alone doesn't solve anything. Trust has to be non-tangible. It has to be that, you know, Indiana Jones stepping off the cliff to an invisible path that he just has to believe is there. Like, and people have to be able to mess up in the process funny you think indiana jones i think aladdin stepping off in the magic carpet being underneath him (laughs) disney kid for life (laughs) here's what's coming up next on don't say content when we were trying to think about what we were going to talk about for this episode i was tired you were grasping at straws jerry generously like what about this and Finally, you said, what about play? And you were like, Devin, your face actually changed. You Mm -hmm. you suddenly were excited because I I was a little tired. I've been in the grind. And that's kind of a perfect example. This episode is just us living in a moment of play and talking about it without... And there's no takeaways, right? Like, oh, what are the takeaways? I don't know. That creativity exists. That like you should live here and it's okay for it to be messy and gross. Oh, I'm not doing takeaways. No, I didn't mean to. 
Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. You are the wind beneath our wings. You are the rose. I'm thinking of Bette Midler songs now. (laughs) You are the thorn in our sides. No, that's Devin. That's Devin. I'm the thorn in their side. (laughs) And yours. And everybody's as well. I'm sorry for who I am as a person.